Welcome to the Arbitration Conversation with Amy Schmitz. Hello, and welcome to the Arbitration Conversation. So in this Arbitration Conversation, we're going to talk with Debbie Slate. Debbie Slate is the COO and co-founder of Dispute Resolution Data. Prior to beginning involvement, um, she has been involved in mediation arbitration for a very long time. She had a successful career with Time Magazine, overseeing sales operations of 135 employees and in commercial real estate development in California. She was the founding director of the South Carolina Council for Mediation and a national vice president for online service services with the American Arbitration Association, where she oversaw a two-state mediation initiative for homeowners in Louisiana and Mississippi following Hurricane Katrina. She is trained as a mediator, and she is a former board member and editor of publications for Arbital Women. She holds a BA from the University of South Carolina and an MBA from the McCall School of Business, Queens University. Um, Debbie Slate, thank you so much for taking time with us. Thank you for having me. I would like to sort of start at the beginning with respect to um, dispute resolution data and learning about what, how you got there um, and kind of your journey in starting well, the company. Yes, of course. I would, uh, I'd love to talk about that. Um, the, as, as you mentioned, I have a long career in um, dispute resolution, starting with developing an um, organization in South Carolina where we trained um, 700 mediators and arbitrators and, so, and worked with the courts. And then working with the American Arbitration Association in, um, uh, in, on the online projects and uh, on developing WebFile, which was their first um, uh, web initiative for filing cases. And um, from there, I guess ODR uh, was also part of what I, what I did and um, was uh, just really um, so excited to be involved in the, uh, the ODR XML project and co-chairing with uh, Colin Rule, the ABA Dispute Resolution Committee. And we were one of, I think, one of the first um, chairs for that committee, for the ODR committee. Um, but through the years, I've always been involved in uh, kind of new initiatives that were, uh, that were emerging um, at the beginning of um, their time. And whether it was mediation or ODR, and data in arbitration and mediation. And um, I, the way that, um, that DRD started, um, you mentioned that I am a, a, a co-founder and uh, the other founder is Bill Slate, who is uh, my husband and is a, as you know, a giant in the field and um, had uh, many contacts through his uh, time at the courts and then as a CEO with American Arbitration Association. And one of the things that we used to talk about was that, you know, arbitration particularly should not be defined by the last worst case. How many times have you been in a conference and somebody who just finished an arbitration and wasn't happy of it stands up and says, well, here's what I think about arbitration and here's why arbitration is this and here's why arbitration is that. We thought, you know, there should be data. Data is, uh, is in every field it is um, data and data analysis are 
indispensable in modern commerce and for planning and budgeting and resourcing, marketing, and why not in dispute resolution? So our mission with dispute resolution data was to um, help people understand, appreciate, and promote arbitration and mediation through the examination and the use of data in the field. And uh, so one of the things that we knew we needed to do, we started in the international arena with international commercial data. And um, we knew that we needed to have a partnership with the institutions who were collecting that data. So we, we started there. It took us um, several years to just create the database where there was some value and you could see, um, you, could, you could actually use the data. And you know, the data is being used on, in a lot of different ways for uh, strategy, for uh, budgeting, for um, business development, um, universities, uh, law schools are using it for education and research. And so um, DRD is made up of um, over 200,000 data points with um, 19 different contributors all institutions across the world. And uh, the data is um, over 5,000 cases now and uh, covers parties from 185 countries. Wow, so um, sort of backing up a little bit. Yeah, I saw and I saw how you have um, a strategic partnership with Walters Kluwer. Yes. And I wondered sort of kind of backing up a little bit about how, you know, could you give me an example of somebody who would be a typical subscriber or a typical use of the data? Well, typical subscribers are um, law firms that have an arbitration, particularly an international arbitration uh, department and, and uh, do commercial cases or a university um, law school who has international programs. And uh, the way that um, our clients use the data is uh, they use it in presenting um, the data to their own clients for uh, looking at procedures and trends and even managing customer, their customer expectations. Um, also for drafting dispute resolution clauses or to, or to develop strategies since the information that we collect, and I, I should go back and say that the information we collect is different from uh, the information that's available through awards. It's the process information. So we look at the case from the moment it starts until, it, until the end of the case, whether that's through a mediation or an arbitration or a settlement. And um, every point, we have about 100 points for arbitration and 50 points for mediation is uh, considered along the way in terms of what path did the case take. So this helps in identifying trends. It helps with due diligence um, in relation to uh, if you were having a client briefing. And then, you know, as I mentioned, it's also a, a natural addition to either um, an in-house library or used for research and training practices. And it's an online um, resource. So the other thing I guess I'm wondering is um, how do you make sure the data is protected or do you have to worry about or do you redact, I assume, um, sensitive information, or how do you deal with those questions? It has to do with the way the data is aggregated. So first of all, we don't collect any, comp any confidential information. I like to say that we don't collect anything about the who's, who are the parties, who are, um, 
who are the arbitrators. So there's no identifying information uh, about the case. Uh, the case gets a, a DRD number and it, there's never an association that we receive with any case. So confidential, confidentiality is, is protected by our not collecting that information. And then it's further protected by us aggregating that data by region and by case type. So we have six regions across the world. So you may see European data, or you may see North American data, or you may see South American data. Um, but you, so you, you, you see the data by region and by case type, and we collect data on 28 different case types. Wow, that's super cool. I mean, it's really interesting. I can't, I mean, it'd be fun just to kind of jump in and, and do different sort of research myself. I have to say, as a professor, I'm just thinking how much fun it would be to we, dive right in. You we'd know, we'd love to look, have you do that. <laughs> yeah, I would. Okay, we will do that after I get there. Um, yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I'm thinking about the process points um, because that's really, you're right. I mean, it's there already are other databases out there that are more focused on simply outcomes. Um, exactly. But knowing the process, you know, knowing how many cases, do you capture, for example, um, if cases are filed but settle before going to hearing? Yes, we do. Um, it, so when the case, is, the case is entered after it's closed and, you know, could be 30 days, it's also the data uh, is dynamic. The basis, the database is dynamic. So um, the information is entered after the case is closed and um, it's, it's very fresh because, you know, you could be looking at a case that's, um, you know, just 30 days, uh, the information is 30 days old. So right. um, that's a different, that's different, you know, from what we've seen in the past in the public information that is available. Right, right. Well, the other piece, um, talking about process, have you been looking at um, and capturing if, for example, an arbitration or mediation is um, handled online versus in person? One of the things, uh, yes, we do. We have a question directed to that. We also ask about electronic filing. We, we, act, we, we ask about document uh, submissions. Um, and you had mentioned the, um, the question on uh, the, uh, the confidentiality of the, uh, of the cases. And um, so all of that information stays confidential because it's aggregated. Well, and the question, yeah, and well, and I wonder sort of findings, I guess it's hard because it's so dynamic that you can't really sort of report on particular findings, but, but are there any things over time or, or any particular pieces of data that have sort of surprised you? I think that uh, the thing that has been that we documented that everyone uh, knew anecdotally that um, arbitration acts like a settlement tool. Mm -hmm. But we now have the data that shows that in international commercial arbitration, um, if you have an arbitration clause, there is a, you know, there's a, there is a strong chance that the case is going to settle. But we, uh, we know exactly what percentage of those cases settle and at what point they settle. Do they settle after they're filed? Do they settle prior to the first hearing? Or do they settle later on in the process? And we actually have a series of articles that are on our website. Um, written on that very thing. I think that's one of the most, um, that's one of the most important findings that we've had since the, since we've been looking at the insights of the database. So, so drum roll, please. When do they settle? Is it after the preliminary hearing or is it before the preliminary hearing? 
Um, well, it's it's usually after the preliminary hearing, but before mm-hmm. the uh, the the uh, the hearings begin. Exactly, that makes sense. I would assume the same. To be honest, that yeah. would have been my thought. But um, yeah, well, and it's very interesting, you know, to be able to have that kind of data and to actually look at, you know, kind of the trajectory of different case types as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I see how your um, website does break things down by case type. Are there some case types that are more prone to go to hearing? I think that would be true. Yes, I think we see um, more hearings in construction. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think the also um, in terms of when cases settle, the, the, the other um, information that the data shows is that uh, the larger the case, the more likelihood that it's going to settle. Oh, yeah, because there's more risk. Exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, in the construction point, um, so I did construction arbitration when I was in practice. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we went to hearing a lot. Um, so that doesn't surprise me at all that construction is very likely to go to hearing. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, and then were you able to look at trends once the pandemic hit? So with your data, are you able to sort of slice and dice according to time um, and look at data in comparison pre-COVID-19 and post-COVID-19? We will. Um, COVID was just just really devastating to to all of us because um, most of the institutions that were putting in the data, they had, uh, they had systems in place, they had people that were putting in the data that were then sent home and they weren't in the office. And so there was a definitely a, um, an interruption in the data flow with COVID. So I think that those insights are yet to be gathered. Well, that'll definitely be an interesting thing to, you know, I, I look forward to, you know, seeing the different articles or different um, sort of data that comes out on that point. So what, where, what's next? So what do you see kind of next on the horizon for your company? Well, I think that one of the things that we've seen is that some, uh, you know, some organizations, law firms and, uh, and, and others, they want to consume the data on a subscription basis, but not everybody wants to do it. And not everyone has a caseload of 100% international arbitration. So in order to make the product more available, we now have some other ways that they can consume the data. So we have developed a um, application uh, programming interface API, and we also have developed a, a template for an individual report. So if someone uh, a lawyer say they had an individual case that they wanted to see the data um, surrounding that case, that case type in that particular region, then they could request um, a just a report for that case. So we're looking at other ways that we can use this data and provide it um, to our public. Well, also, have you looked into or does that include um, any use of artificial intelligence or um, machine learning with respect to the data and how it can be analyzed to sort of learn from itself and perhaps um, generate prediction. It would Has be, that... It, that would be a very interesting um, avenue, I think. And uh, we haven't gotten there yet, but it's certainly being discussed. Yeah, I would, cause that I would think would be um, really interesting. Um, absolutely, especially 
for a practitioner or anyone um, looking at the different case types and then especially with that kind of data, um, really interesting stuff. Wow, that's fun. So, and are you everywhere throughout the world? Are your clients um, everywhere, mostly US-based? Um, mostly, yes, everywhere throughout the world, but I would say the larger uh, European and US-based. Okay, cool. Well, and the thing is, I mean, you've done so much and you've had such a cool career with a lot of different and fun things. Um, but I wonder, of course, with any new company, and, and now, of course, it's not new anymore, but um, what have been the biggest challenges? Well, I think that the, the, the biggest challenge is the one that everyone that's in the legal tech area faces, and that is that um, this has been mentioned before, I think, in, in other uh, podcasts, and that is that the legal um, services industry is not, they're not the, the fastest to make change and to uh, adopt change. And so just bringing people along and educating has been um, the biggest challenge. Oh yeah, I mean, that's definitely, I'm with you on that. It's, yeah. it's actually kind of fun and a little bit full circle because, um, so I've actually been the co-chair of the technology committee now for the uh -huh. Bar Association <laughs> for a long time. I don't even know how many years it's like, <laughs> I swear I'm just going to be a permanent um, fixture in that space, but, and you started it. So um, along with Colin, so um, we've all kind of watched these issues come up for a long time, right? And innovation right. is always tough. And I think innovation is particularly tough in the legal field. Um, there's just a lot at stake, I think, for, for those in the law. And, and understandably, there are some sort of pieces of tradition involved. But, um, but yeah, understanding data and gathering information is certainly a challenge, um, but it's exciting the work that you're doing. And I'm happy to hear that you're careful about the information you collect and how you share it, because of course that's always important as well. Oh, um, absolutely, yes. Yeah. And you know, just on that point, Amy Walters Clore did a, a study um, in 2021 called the Future Ready Lawyer Survey, and one of the questions that they asked the clients was on technology, and 78% of the clients said that technology was important. And 28% of the firms felt prepared to provide that technology. So there is definitely a mismatch um, between what clients say that they want and, and what is being provided. So I hope that you know, through all of our education, through your committee and through Collins efforts, through what we're doing and what everybody in the legal tech area is doing is that we can help to um, to bring the field along and that we can provide a service that will really help uh, people to um, understand, appreciate, and promote the use of um, mediation and arbitration. And, uh, and ODR, I think, is going to have a leg up on this because it is online. They're going to be protect or they're going to be collecting the data from day one. So I think that's going to be very exciting to see um, what comes out of the ODR data too. Right, right. Well, and one other piece is the fact that students, um, you know, as a law professor, I see students who are very interested in technology. So, um, and technology is not going to go away anytime soon. So right. I, think, I think we can all look at that into the future. Well, Debbie, I really appreciate your taking time. Um, it's been really a great conversation, really interesting about the use of data 
and considering data in dispute resolution. Um, thank you. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. This podcast was brought to you by Arbitrate.com. For more information about Arbitrate.com programs and content, please visit our website at www.arbitrate.com.